Oh, cool. What instrument do you play? Uh, drums. Oh, same here. Oh, awesome. Yeah, no yeah. drummers. Look at that. We should have talked about that on the podcast. Maybe. I know. <laughs> we, we got next episode for that. Bart, I've asked you not to whistle that annoying tone. Yo, what's up everybody? Welcome back to Simpsons is Greater Than, the podcast where we take a look at the cultural impact of everybody's favorite nuclear family. You know who it is by now. It's the Simpsons. Come on. As always, I'm your host, Warren, and I really appreciate you joining me again this week. Some of you may know me from my Simpsons collection on Instagram and Twitter. Be honest, it's great, isn't it? Go ahead and say it's great if you want to. But if not, when this is done, Go to at Bart of Darkness and check it out. This interview is with Mike Scully, and man, Mike Scully is just great. What else can I say? Mike started writing on the show in 93. He wrote some of my favorite episodes and yours. The show ran seasons 9 through 12, and I just think there's a lot to take from this interview and a lot to appreciate Mike for. So I'm not going to talk your head off here in the intro. And uh, let's fucking listen to the interview. Episode 7. Let's go. I want to say thanks, Mike. I'm glad we finally got this interview to uh, happen. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's really nice to see you today. Awesome. Thanks a lot. Thanks for uh, having me on. appreciate it. Hey, oh, of course, of course. How are you holding up in this hell world that we're in right now? What have you been up to <laughs> to pass the time? Uh, yeah, we're, you know, um, what's this is now August. So we're, we're now into what, like six months of this, seven months. I don't even know. Um, we're doing okay. I got my, uh, I got my born to run face mask. (laughs) So, um, you know, it's been weird. We have a kind of a big family, but it's just my wife and I here, the kids are all grown, but we have three grandkids. And so like all the family, the birthdays, occasionally, everything's been zoom, you know? So yeah, that that you know that that's been kind of a bummer, uh, you know that part of it. But I think you know with with the great leadership of of President Trump, we'll get through. <laughs> 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 oh. Any day now, I know he's going to turn it around. <laughs> <laughs> For anyone who doesn't follow Mike on Twitter and thinks he's serious, he is not. <laughs> no, no, no. no. <laughs> I, I honestly can't believe there's one person left <laughs> voting for him at this point. But yeah, whatever. Hey, I, I couldn't agree. I couldn't agree more. Um, well, I, I know you've been pretty busy with Duncanville recently, and I want to know how that's going. Uh, congratulations on season two, by the way. Oh, great! Uh, thank you. Yeah, uh, yeah. That's the one thing we're doing uh, is uh, we are still in production on on season two of Duncanville. We're doing everything by Zoom. You know, we're writing the show by Zoom, uh, you know, directing actor records, mixing shows, editing, like everything is computer uh, now. Like, you know, this, you know we, we have a couple of new writers on staff this year, one who we've never met in person. We interviewed him by Zoom, <laughs> hired him, and now we work together by Zoom. But I don't even know if he has legs. So, wow. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how tall he is. It's, it's so weird, like just meeting people 
this way and then you're working together on a daily basis and then realize you you know you still don't know that much about each other yeah i mean I, i've said this on a few episodes but part of the reason i finally took the leap into this podcast is i was like well everyone else is on zoom all the time so i guess it's a good time to go yeah exactly it's it's very different from like working in the writer's room uh you know when you're in the room together there's like there's downtime and digressions and you, you get a chance to kind of shoot the shit with people and keep up with everyone's lives and, and get to know if it's a new person, get to know them better. Zoom, every, everything is kind of like focused. <laughs> like, all right, let's get to work. And uh, before we all have migraines. Yeah. <laughs> yeah and, and, you know, you have to try to not to talk over each other so that you're not cutting off each other's jokes. Um, Yardley joked about the pod nod. Uh, which I, I catch myself doing a lot because you're so used to Zoom now. Every time someone else is talking, you're just nodding your head. Oh, the pot now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, we still have a lot of, uh, no, I'm sorry, you go. No, you go. You know, it's a lot of that. <laughs> um, well, you know, you, you touched on it a little, but uh, what has it been like adjusting to it digitally? Or do you feel like you're finally getting used to it? You know, you, you can adapt to almost anything. So, you know, we've, you know, we have gotten used to it. There's, you know, like I said, you are more focused, so it does kind of keep the work going and you're more kind of productive because there's much less in the uh, like digressions. When you're in the room, you can find a million ways to not work. You, know, like you can watch YouTube videos and uh, all kinds of stuff, but that doesn't really work well on the Zoom. And it does allow you, to, I guess, you, it'll, <laughs> if you pitch a joke, and and it gets no laugh you can kind of rationalize to yourself like oh it must be an audio problem with the zoom <laughs> they didn't hear it <laughs> <laughs> that's good I, that's actually a really good excuse that's really good i like that exactly yeah it is tougher it works well for like doing rewrites on scripts when we're breaking stories it's a little harder because when you're breaking a story there's kind of a looseness in the room with a general mission of what we're trying to, the story we think we're trying to do. But sometimes things come out of like off the cuff remarks or side conversations. And then like suddenly you realize, oh, wait a minute, that could go in here. We could use that. And, and, you, and it's nice when you're running the room, you, you develop a skill in the room of hearing multiple voices simultaneously and, and retaining what people are saying <laughs> and then kind of assembling it like a puzzle. And in Zoom, that's harder to do. So we have found on Duncanville and also at Simpsons, the, the story breaking is a little tougher. Yeah. Yeah, I can, I can totally understand that. Well, um, you know, speaking of The Simpsons, which is why we're here, um, you, you started writing on The Simpsons in 93, correct? Uh, yes. Yeah. 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 How, how did you come to write for the show? How did that come together? Just really, really lucky circumstances. Um, uh, I, I had uh, I had already been on staff at a few shows. I started working at like eighty six, and from like eighty six to ninety three, I worked on a series of just terrible sitcoms. <laughs> but but I was thrilled to be there and learning a lot. And then uh, this opportunity came up where a writer named Vic Levin had seen a spec script of mine, like a, it was a Seinfeld. Uh, or Larry Sanders, I can't remember, it was Seinfeld or Larry Sanders or both. I had like two at the time. Right. And he passed it on. It somehow made its way over to Gracie Films. <laughs> and I, a call came from out of the blue one day that they wanted to have a meeting. And uh, so I met with uh, Richard Sakai and um, 
and ultimately with David Merkin, who was running the show at the time. And uh, David hired me, and I thought I would be there. It was like kind of like around the end of season four, overlapping with the beginning of season five. And I thought, oh, this is cool. I'll be there for the last couple of years of The Simpsons. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if, if this works out, because at that time, like if you ran, if your show ran, say like like five to seven seasons, that was a great run. Uh, and I figured, you know, okay, I'm I'll, I'm here season five. If the sh- if this thing makes it to seven seasons, hopefully I could hang in till the end, and, uh, and that would be cool. And and now it's you know uh, whatever season we're on now, thirty two. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I always do, I still do one day a week on the show. I you know I always love hearing how often writers from that time will say like yeah you know we thought we had a couple years or we had two or three years four or five yeah. years it's it's just so funny to look at that in contrast to where it is now. Oh yeah, I mean the writers that were there in the beginning you know told me that they all took it as figuring this is a thirteen episode job and then it's over like nobody thought this was going to play, you know, animation in primetime hadn't been done in so long. Uh, and so they, they were all, they all thought it would be a fun diversion, but nobody expected it to, uh, to, to last beyond the 13. Wow. Were, were you a fan of the show before you got hired there or was it sort of something you had missed out on? Uh, I could lie and say I was a fan from day one. <laughs> but <laughs> the, uh, the truth of it is, I had seen the shorts on Tracy Ullman, and at that point in my life, I had this, I, I'm, I'm not like a giant animation fan, or I, I wasn't then, and I had this like thing in my head that like, you know, I'm, I'm an adult now, I'm married, I got kids, and you know, I, I, I can't be watching cartoons, <laughs> and I have to do grown-up things, and so I kind of had a, like a little bit of aversion to it right away. And then when I heard it was going to be a half-hour show, I, my honest thought was, oh, wow, a half an hour of that every week? <laughs> uh, and then my wife started watching it, Julie, and uh, she finally, like, after a while, you said, you just come sit down and watch one episode. <laughs> uh, so I finally did, because she, she said, she was, I know you're going to love it if you'll just give it a chance. And the one I happened to see first was Bart the Daredevil. Uh, and that sequence of Homer going over the gorge, I hadn't laughed that hard you know, at something on TV like since I was a kid, you know. Uh, and it was just one laugh on top of another, and each one topping the joke before it. That whole sequence and the ambulance going into the tree and the back door opening and back. I, and I thought, oh my God, this is brilliant. <laughs> uh, then I was obsessed with the show after that. Uh, that sequence being the first thing you really remember is actually pretty perfect since you worked on Behind the Laughter and you sort of expand on that whole thing and you make it seem like a real event that happened uh, is painkiller addiction and all of that. That's actually really perfect. I don't know if that's why, but. Oh, great. Yeah, no, we, when we decided to do that Behind the Laughter episode, it was kind of a, you know, let's make up a, a phony history of the show and treat them as if they're real and all these things really did happen to them. and that Homer created the show. And uh, yeah, and that came out of, I, I can't remember whose joke it was, might've been George Meyer, but I, I don't want to say for sure. Uh, yeah, that the, I, I remember George pitching the, but fame was like a drug, you know, but, but the real drug were the drugs or whatever that line. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and that, yeah, that it all stemmed from that, uh, that gorge sequence that he got addicted to painkillers and that, that sequence of him learning to walk again. <laughs> 
It's so it's so funny. I I I love that episode. Um, I actually don't know why I didn't write a question about that. So I'll just edit out that I wasn't planning on asking, and we'll leave it. Um, no, we did, we had a great time doing it. We got to watch. We watched so many behind the musics in the writers' room under the guise of research, uh, just to find like little kind of shots that they would use and sometimes reuse in other episodes. And there was one that we used of a, a dangling payphone receiver on a cord, like just saying that. And it, we saw it in kind of like three different episodes uh, of just that shot. And we said, oh, we got to find a reason to put that in the show. <laughs> I, think so Tim, I think Tim Long found that. Yeah. <laughs> it's great. Um, well, this is, this is something that I really like to, to get a take from people like yourself, Mike. Uh, why do you think or what do you think makes The Simpsons stay so relevant and special even, you know, 32-ish years later? Um, you know, I think, first of all, you know, um, families, you know, never go away. You know, <laughs> it's, it's a, they're always in style. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, there's certain, you know, truths to families that, you know, certain ones just don't change drastically, you know, <laughs> and, uh, you know, the concept of, you know, uh, a dumb dad and a smart ass kid and, and, and an overachieving, you know, kid and, and the mom kind of keeping it all together as much as we have evolved over the years and, 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 and men have allegedly evolved <laughs> over the years, <laughs> there are still some very basic truths. To, the, to that setup that that are, are as real now as the, as it was in the beginning uh we just sometimes we don't admit it as readily as we did back then <laughs> you know obviously you've worked on a ton of different things in your career um and are still working on a lot of different things uh what do you think most attracted you to comedy and comedy writing that i mean growing up uh as a kid like I, I didn't realize i was being influenced at the time but like the dick van dyke show uh, was, you know, huge to me. I, it, to me, I was just enjoying it as a TV show, but in my head, it did look like, and I don't know how old I was, maybe seven, eight. Uh, it looked like a fun job. Like, wow, they just sit around and try to make each other laugh all day. <laughs> uh, uh, so that, that, you know, resonated with me. And I was just always a kind of a big comedy freak. Like I used to listen to all like the Smothers Brothers albums and, and any, comedian like seeing you know george carlin on on the old jackie gleason show you know before he had long hair when he was kind of a button-down shirt and tie uh guy and uh, you know so all any comedy like in the 60s when i was growing up i was just a big big fan of but i didn't really take it seriously as a career when i turned 25 i, I didn't go to college first of all <laughs> so when i hit 25 i uh kind of had this moment of you know, being like with my friends and we're just like sitting in a car in a parking lot drinking in, in a Burger King parking lot. And <laughs> I just had this moment of like, I can't keep doing this. Like, I've got to do something with my life. And I just decided like, you know, I, I've got to make a move. And I just started thinking, what do I really want to do? Or what do I at least want to try to do? And then decided I was going to pack up and move. And, uh, you know, uh, so I, I did that. I drove cross country with a friend of mine. And he went up to Tahoe. I stayed down here. And I figured worst case scenario, you know, I could always like fall on my face and go back and do, you know, whatever I was doing. I, I, I had been working kind of a, a variety of 
different jobs. Uh, I was a driving instructor, like teaching kids how to drive. And uh, I was a janitor at a hospital. I did fast food. I did retail. You know, nothing that was like where I was like, this is my life. You know, Yeah, I thought I would just give this a shot and see what happened, figuring I would kick myself if I never tried. No, that's, that's cool. And, you know, as someone who also did not uh, stick with college, at least you're an inspiration to me, Mike. <laughs> yeah, I, well, I, I made it a half a day. That's how long I lasted, really. I, I made it, I made it a half a semester, I think. Yeah, all right. You did much better than me. <laughs> I got out fast because it was a community college and you know, my dad said I had to pay for it. It was like, you know, at the time it was a lot of money to me, but it was like 150 bucks. But if you quit in the first 48 hours, you got a full refund. <laughs> so that's what I did. Yeah, I, I totally relate to that too. It was also yeah. a community college. I was like, yeah, no, I'm not into it. Um, yeah. <laughs> that's not for everybody. <laughs> no. Um, now, you've written some of my favorite episodes, but especially three of my favorite Lisa episodes. I'm a huge, huge Lisa fan. Um, yeah. Does having five daughters make you better at writing for Lisa? I, it, I don't know. It, de- it definitely makes me gravitate toward doing it. Um, you know, in the early years of the show, I think the show was so kind of Homer and Bart centric uh, in, the, in the early years. Um, when I got there, there, there weren't that many stories. And like the first one I got to write was Lisa's Rival, which was a story that was left behind by Conan O'Brien when he uh, left the show. He, he actually left the show on my first day there. So we, we got to shake hands and later that day he, he had his own TV show. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I do like writing the Lisa episodes. I think Lisa and Homer fighting is always like a funny combination to me. Um, and yeah, I, you know, I have all daughters. So uh, I, I do kind of, there's something there emotionally, you know, definitely for me. Uh, that makes it more fun to write, I think. Right. Um, For anyone listening, I'm referring to Lisa's rival, Lisa on Ice, and Lisa's date with Density, which, you know, I think you could put those on any uh, best of list. So uh, my hat's off to you, Mike. Those are all perfect episodes. Oh, oh, thanks. Thanks. I appreciate it. And, and, you know, the whole staff helps with every episode. Uh, As as much as I would like to take all the credit, it's, (laughs) it's, uh, it's a real collaborative effort. Yeah, no, I'm just going to give you all the credit. So moving on, uh, (laughs) uh, speaking of Lisa on ice, you're a big uh, hockey fan, right? And you actually assumed uh, that that would be a potential career for you at one point. Is that true? I I had a lot of dreams as a kid. (laughs) Uh, uh, I'm only like, you can't tell on the zoo, but I'm only like like 5'9", like 155. So (laughs) it wasn't a very big, but yeah, I was a big hockey fan. And uh, had had dreams. I grew up with the uh, Bobby Orr, you know, Phil Esposito, Boston Bruins. Um, and at that time, like every kid in Massachusetts wanted to be Bobby Orr. Uh, so, yeah, and I was a rink rat. We had an American Hockey League team in our home, in my hometown called the Springfield Kings, who were the farm team for the Los Angeles Kings at the time. So I was at the rink all the time and hanging out and getting to meet the players and uh, stuff like that. So yeah, when, when I got to Simpsons and had to try to think of story ideas of my own, they had already done several sports themed episodes, but they hadn't touched hockey yet. So, uh, I got lucky there. <laughs> yeah. I actually just recently posted a, uh, a cell from Lisa on ice. It's one of my favorite things in my collection. I, I, I truly love it. It's great. 
Oh, awesome. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it, it came out really, really well. And it was, it was fun to kind of tap back into, you know, you know some of those things from, you know, cause I, I really was like just the annoying kid at the rink, you know, bugging these guys for broken sticks and stuff like that. <laughs> uh, what, what was it like growing up in Springfield, Mass? Because I, I actually spent a lot of time when I was younger in Deerfield, Mass, which oh, is yeah. not, not terribly far from Springfield. Um, I've always thought that's such a beautiful area. What was it like growing up there? Uh, I loved it. Uh, I, I, you know, yeah, kind of had the best of both worlds. I grew up like in uh, town, actually in West Springfield, but it was like, you know, 15 minutes, you could just walk over the bridge and be in Springfield. So I got to see a, a lot of stuff, you know, like, you know, like movies. Um, you know, my uncle, uh, Ronnie is a, or at the time was a, a big band. He had his own big band. And he was a local uh, thing. So any show that came to town, like these traveling uh, theater shows or ice capes, circuses, like anything, he was the guy conducting the orchestra. So he would always get us in. And, and I remember like so vividly, he, there was an amusement park there called Riverside Park. And every Sunday in the summertime, they would have uh, TV stars would come. And they would come out and do a little show and promote whatever they were doing. And so I he would introduce me to people like it's the you know the crop duster from petticoat junction <laughs> but one time he had the, the three stooges were there wow and you know i was like you know i mean one one of them couldn't show up because his wife uh was sick like larry wasn't there but mo was there and uh curly was no longer part of it it was uh joe uh, uh joe besser i think came with mo and uh but i got to meet mo yeah <laughs> so wow. that was awesome no nah, that so, is awesome uh, yeah so yeah, my uncle ronnie was kind of a, an early influence of like i felt like i had a connection to show business you know uh, through him so i was already kind of had that in my head that it it felt more real to me like he had this great book of pictures of him playing different shows some that were not local some were in new york but it was like great pictures of him with jackie gleason and jerry lewis and um you know uh frank fontaine and you know i would just i flipped through it so many times <laughs> wow what is, what is it about the lisa episodes you think that makes or rather what makes it what inspires you to write episodes where lisa is bad at something you know she's always sort of an overachiever what gave you the thought of like let's see what happens when she fails we're always looking for something on the show where Lisa like has a, you know, a flaw or you put her and like, uh, or like, you know, failing at something. And when, um, like that, what that, uh, and Lisa on ice that we thought, all right, if she's going to get an, like an F in something or, or on the verge of failing, Jim would be a funny one for Lisa where, you know, and she can't handle the idea of failing anything, whether she likes it or not. Uh, so that felt like a great, uh, way in i mean we used to get these we used them in the show i think we called them something else but they were called warning cards that would let your parents know kind of halfway through the semester so that way you could get punished twice a semester instead of once <laughs> so. I, I think i think they called them progress reports when i was a kid yeah and i think that might have been the term we used in the show but where i went to school they were called warning cards they were these red <laughs> cards and you had to show them to your parents uh so yeah, that was kind of our way in. Any chance we get on the show to where Lisa can you know, have a failing or where she can just act like a kid, 
you know, because um, a lot of times Lisa gets stuck in the more adult role of having to be the adult in a situation. So whenever we find something where she can act like a real, you know, eight-year-old kid, we always pounce on those because Yardley's so great at playing both, you know, both sides of Lisa. She is. I'm, you know, uh, anyone who's listened to the first episode of this podcast, you'll know just how much I love Yardley. If you haven't listened to it, you should. Um, so it is my opinion, whether it's controversial or not, that Marge Be Not Proud is the actual best Simpsons Christmas episode. And if you're listening and your jaw dropped when I said that, just watch it. I'm telling you, it's, it's, I think it's the best one, even better than the premiere, as much as I love it. Oh, wow. Um, and I've heard you, I, I really do love it. I'm not just, I'm not just sucking up to you, Mike. Um, I, I've heard you talk about how uh, that's based on a real story. And if you're not sick of telling that story, for anyone who doesn't know, uh, could you share it? No, oh, absolutely. Because I only have like three stories. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, uh, you know, once again, we were, you know, trying to come up with, you're always trying to come up with new stories for the show. And going into your own childhood is always like a great source of finding stories for Bart and Lisa. One of my favorite stories, I, I once, when I was running the show, gave the speech to the writing staff. We were running short on stories. And I said, think about your own childhood. So you know, don't worry about what's going on in the news. Just think of your own childhood and, uh, and, you know, and, and you know, stuff that happened to you when you were a kid. And Ian Maxtone Grand raised his hand because I got it. Bart fires his butler. <laughs> so, anyway, that's a digression. I'm sorry. No, you're good. Uh, <laughs> uh, Marge, be not proud. So yeah, when I was uh, 13 years old, I got caught. I, I was at the, this store called Bradley's Department Store uh, in Springfield, Mass. And I was in there and I saw some other kids uh, in there and they were shoplifting. And I ran into them and I knew them, you know, we knew each other, but they were like the kids who were more likely to get in trouble than I was. But I feel that pressure of like, everyone's stealing stuff. I got to steal something. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. So I wound up taking this like 45 record and stuffing it in my jacket. Uh, and I got outside the store and all of a sudden like this arm, this hand is just on my shoulder. And the next thing I know, I'm up in the store detective's office up there and being interrogated and scared to death <laughs> uh, <laughs> and begging them not to call my parents. The, the over, like the, the emotion that couldn't get away with my, I was so afraid of like two things. One, I was afraid of my dad finding out because I just knew he would just go nuts. <laughs> but the bigger fear for me was I knew my mom would be just emotionally devastated because um, it was really like an out of character thing for me to do. Um, and that's kind of the emotion that drives that episode is when, you know, we set up in the beginning the night the nighttime tuck-in ritual with Marge and Bart. And then once he, she finds out what he did, she does it with Lisa and he can hear her coming down the hall. And that scene where she walks by and just goes, good night, Bart, and clicks the light off and keeps walking. I mean, that, that still like, gets me. I mean, that, that didn't really happen to me. Uh, my parents never found out wow. what happened. So it was kind of a what-if scenario playing out my fears had my mother found out what happened. <laughs> It is, you know, again, I, that is, that is, I watch a lot of the Christmas episodes around the holidays, but that is, that episode is just so special because I relate to it. You know, I, I was sort of a troublemaker as a kid, but only at a certain point. And I relate 
heavily to my mom being disappointed and that just bothering me more than getting in trouble or getting caught. So yeah, yeah, I, I'd rather be you know screamed at than uh, than that emotional disappointment is is just horrible. And uh, so uh, yeah, it's funny too because that episode uh, years ago Fox put out like a box set of Simpsons Christmas episodes and. Uh, I picked up, I, I actually bought a copy of it at the Fox store. I didn't even look. I assumed it was in there because it was just one of the Christmas episodes. It's not in there. No. <laughs> I got home. I was like, what the hell? Uh, be, and then I realized somebody didn't watch the episodes and there's nothing in the title that indicates Christmas. No. So, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I actually, it's funny you say that because I... Um, when I first bought that same set, I know exactly what you're talking about. I was like, oh, this would be great because this is before you could stream them and you can't like right. make a playlist. So I was like, oh, I'll just have these and I can throw this in at the holidays and I turn it over. And I'm like, what is going on? So, <laughs> I had the exact same reaction. Um, so I had Bob and Henry from Talking Simpsons on recently. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. And, and they had so many nice things to say about you, Mike. They just went on and on, which I, you know, was maybe even more excited to talk to you. Um, uh, they caught me on a good day. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I was sober, you know. Yeah, right. Uh, well, sometimes, you know, we talked about this. Sometimes your era as showrunner um, was wrongly, in my opinion, judged um, as a period of decline because I think, you know, humor in itself is ever shifting. And I think those years were reacting to a totally different uh, set of circumstances in humor. And I think right. there's so much to love about those seasons. Um, what are some memories, good or bad of your time as showrunner on the show that you have? Oh man. Uh, I mean, just tons of, of great memories just, you know, being in the room with the staff and, you know, when a show, when an episode like really comes together, uh, like in a like, that, that you that you hoped when you were first coming up with the idea and writing it and and when everything just kind of falls into place there's no better feeling um you know and then you know you you also remember like the late nights of like an episode that you thought was going to be great and it's just not clicking for some reason and and you just keep working and working because you, you work as hard on those sometimes harder because <laughs> you're constantly trying to fix them uh and you know that's it's a frustrating feeling when you get to that final you know like you're mixing the show and it's going to get ready you know you know it's going to air in a week and you're still trying to figure out a way to fix the story uh and it's too late but no we had you know so much fun doing those like the writing the behind the laughter that's we started writing some episodes in the room uh where a few writers would just go off and we would lock ourselves in the room for like five or six days uh, you know, behind the laughter was that way. Um, uh, the parent uh, rap, uh, George Meyer and I just locked ourselves in, in one of the offices and then stayed in there for five days and came out with a draft. Um, so, yeah, it was, I mean, I have you know, nothing but really like great memories of that. The terror of becoming the showrunner, you know, in like season nine was. You know, you're already, at season nine, you're, there's no show that's like hitting its prime at season nine. <laughs> you know, you've never heard anybody say that. Uh, great so point. Like, yeah, I mean, so you're, you're just terrified. You don't want to be the person that sinks the ship. You know, I was coming off of two amazing seasons you know, run by, uh, you know, Bill Oakley and Josh Weinstein. Um, and 
So you, you're trying to put your imprint on it, but not mess with it too much. And so, yeah, it was, I think the memory, and probably for all the, the showrunners would say the same. It's, it's those big laughs in the room, those unexpected jokes, or, or when something just, you know, fell into place that you couldn't figure out for a long time and, uh, or, you know, that, you know, that kind of stuff. And, uh, yeah, you know, with those seasons, I know were heavily scrutinized. Um, and it's just, it's, it's a process. I've always thought that any given season, you've got, you know, maybe four episodes that come out just like great, where you're just like, wow, everything works here. And then, you know, maybe you can do another, you know, 10 that are, that are good episodes. You do a few pretty good ones. And then you, I, this is my own personal belief, you allow yourself four clunkers. Or <laughs> you just go, I don't know, it seemed like a good idea at the time. <laughs> well, you know, as a fan and, you know, as a collector and someone who, you know, heavily analyzes The Simpsons anyway, just as a, as a fan, I have long said that I think if people gave some of those later seasons uh, more of a chance without directly comparing them to their, you know, their most cherished memories with the show, I think yeah. they find a lot more to love. And I, I think that especially past a certain point, you just have to realize that things were in a different place in comedy. And I think that there's so many funny episodes in seasons that some people claim are bad that they've never actually sat down and watched. I'm a firm believer of that. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, what, you know, uh, you know, Al Jean and Matt Selman, you know, have been doing, you know, for the past, you know, many years, there's tons of great episodes in there. Uh, but I, it becomes, you know, fashionable, you know, to just, I think it's more like what you're saying, like people just don't watch anymore. And, and then they, but they still, you know, kind of paint the show with this brush of, Oh, it's no good. They're like, well, you can't say that. You can say you don't watch anymore. That's the truth. <laughs> but you can't judge the episodes. Uh, so, you know, that's, you know, we're, we're not the new kid anymore. We're not the fresh face, you know. Uh, you know uh, so, but uh, it's funny, too, because when I joined the show, like, like seasons five and six with David Merkin, uh, which I think are great seasons. Uh, but at that time, that was kind of where the um, internet started to weigh in a little on the show like the alt tv simpsons groups oh, yeah. like all those alt tv blank things and we were starting to see the you know oh man you know when are they going to cancel this thing you know put it out you know, out of its misery <laughs> and now you know it it's looked back as like you know the golden age of the show you know like the bar the, the lines keep getting moved down so you know uh i've never kind of believed in trying to you know, please the internet because it's, it's like kind of a road to madness. And, uh, and as also like lots of great television was made before the internet existed and got to weigh in. So, you know, you try and approach it that way. <laughs> well, you know, two things on that thought, you know, one season six is my favorite season of the show. So I, you know, I, the, and I know there were people that were over it at that point, which is crazy to think, but also it's like they say, you never read the comments because I'm telling you to this day, yeah. if it's anything that you like, if you read the comments closely enough, you will go insane. Oh um, yeah. Yeah. So I, you just, you just can't. And you know, luckily I'm great and no one's going to ever make fun of my podcast. So I don't have to deal with that. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll I know, see. I know. It just comes with the territory now. So yeah, I, I don't, you know, 
sweat it much anymore, as long as it doesn't get to like a dangerous level. I mean, <laughs> there was a point where I think, you know, I, I was getting like some threats and then, and I think Ian got one once too, for just for an offhanded joke he made in an interview. <laughs> well, you know, um, a lot of people, and I won't make you go down this road because I know it's been talked about, but a lot of people didn't like Maude dying and they didn't understand the circumstances of things like that. And, you know, I think looking back on that episode, it's not nearly as bad as people think, regardless of how people feel about it um, in context. And I think you just learn, uh, at least for me, if you really like a show like The Simpsons, I think you should try harder to like it and less hard to hate it. So, Yeah, and the Maude one is, came out of really... It was an idea created by a business situation we were in because the actress was not going to be coming back to the show. She had made a decision to leave. And we thought, all right, well, if that's the way, you know, it's going to go. Like One is we could replace or two is do we try to do something and shake the show up? A little creatively, uh, you know, and and do something a little different. And we thought, well, maybe there's some fun in like some stories in Ned as a single dad or having his faith shaken or, I mean, we, that episode, a lot happens in one episode. I will say that about it. <laughs> a lot. Yeah, a lot happens. Yeah. No, but it's good. And, 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 you know, speaking of Bob and Henry, they talk, you know, they're getting to those seasons now and, and they seem to have a similar take. Like there are all these you know things that I thought I felt that I don't. So I think it's interesting when people take the time to see how they actually do feel, especially now. Yeah, well, that's what happened to me when we were doing the DVD commentaries. It was many years after the episodes had been produced. And it was fun once in a while to like see an episode that I hadn't seen in a long time. Like, oh, wow, this, this one actually came up better than I remember. Because at the time you're doing it, you're remembering what's not working or what you're trying to fix. And, and so that can color your memory of it. But to come back to something, you know, eight or 10 years later and just watch it more as a viewer. Uh, it was fun. There were certain episodes where like, wow, that's a solid, you know, uh, like that the one, I think it's called This Little Wiggy uh, with a, a Barton Ralph play date. I really just sat back and laughed and watched it as a viewer and really enjoyed it. <laughs> it's, a, it's a good one. And, you know, yeah. one of my absolute favorite Schwarzwelder scripts is in 12, uh, The Computer War Menace Shoes. Oh. I actually love that episode. It's, it's one of my absolute favorite episodes. So uh, anyone who oh, doesn't, cool. anyone who needs a recommendation, there you go. Yeah, that, can be, that one can be a polarizing episode. If you have never seen or heard of the show The Prisoner with Patrick McGoo, <laughs> Act 3 is pretty much just like George Meyer and I kind of were, we were both like giant fans of the prisoner, but we knew at the time, like, Oh man, if you don't know this show, people are going to hate act three. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's, there's so many funny jokes in it and I won't just sit here and, and list them all, but I think everything, um, Homer's replacement, Homer building his website. I think there's just so many amazing jokes in that. <laughs> oh, great. Thanks. Yeah. Uh, another one of my favorite episodes is team Homer. And you came up with the idea for that episode while bowling. Is that correct? I've read that. Um, I probably was like, I, you know, I bowled a lot when I was a kid, you got candle pen bowling in Massachusetts. And then, uh, you know, when I started having kids, I was taking them bowling a lot and you're kind of trained on the show, you know, like to just constantly be thinking of stories. Uh, you know, I, I remember somebody you know, telling me it might have been like David Merkley, like no matter what you, you're doing, you should be thinking of stories. If you pass a horrible car crash, you should be 
thinking, what if Homer caused a horrible car crash? So yeah, I was probably with the kids and looking, you know, Homer, you know, in the early years of the show, there was a lot of Homer going bowling uh, at the Barney's Bowl of Rams. So I think we, uh, it was kind of like, oh, it hadn't been on the show in a while. Maybe there's a fun episode to, uh, to do in that. So uh, yeah, that came out a lot. And I think, I think it was Merkin who came up with the, we were trying so hard to figure out the, uh, the burns of it all. And how does he like change his attitude? There's two spots in the story where he needs to change his attitude very abruptly. And we knew we didn't have time to really earn it in the episode. And I think Dave was the one like, I've had one of my, uh, you know, was it inexplicable? Textbook changes, changes of heart. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, are you, are you a good bowler? Uh, I'm okay. I, you know, it's, I'm, I'm, yeah, I can beat my kids. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, what's that average, Mike? <laughs> uh, no, Candlepin, I, I can't even erase it. You know, you know, I, I can occasionally break 100, but I'm not like a really good bowler now. Uh, I, I love to bowl, and I had a group of friends. We used to go every week for a long time, and um, I got to where I could sort of, I won't say consistently, but I could break you know, 200 every now oh, and again wow. like uh, you are really good there <laughs> i'd hit about a 215 216 from time to time but now i'm wow. probably terrible i haven't gone in a while especially you know this year <laughs> uh, and as a collector i want to say how sad i am that there was never a lobster harmonica made so thanks a lot mike oh. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot you guys, could, you guys yeah. could pitch that to the marketing team <laughs> Uh, no, we don't get to pitch anything. Some, sometimes stuff just shows up on like you're in the you're in a store and you just see like when did they make these? <laughs> right. Or you'll see I like the Team Homer shirts. I was in a mall and I did, had no idea they existed, and I forgot what store. I might have been like my because my kids would have been the age probably like my oldest might have been like Hot Topic age, uh, and then and suddenly I see these the Pen Pals shirts hanging out of the wall. So like, wait a minute, don't we get paid for it? Do we get a little taste of this? <laughs> but you know, everything you write just is property of, you know, property of Fox. Yeah. You know, as a collector and, and doing these podcasts, it's, it's really interesting talking to people from the show and realizing that a lot of times they had very little uh, inside info about the merchandise being made or, or, you know, they didn't get much of the merchandise, which I think that is super interesting. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> what can you do? Well, you know, obviously a lot of the reason, well, the main reason that I started this uh, uh, Instagram, which is the reason I started the podcast, um, is to show off my collection. And I recently also started doing that on Twitter a few months ago. I was and saying, pretty awesome. <laughs> thank you. And what I like to ask people is, as far as the merchandise was concerned, when you would go find it, did you buy any of it? Did you keep any of it? What was your What were your memories of it as far as going out and seeing it? Um, yeah, there, there were some things that you know they would uh, give us on the show or like as a um, premiere party gifts and, and that sign. So there were some very cool things that uh, I still have. Um, including there's a great like yellow Simpsons bowling ball. Actually, there was speaking of bowling that, uh, that they, there was a day where we all like walked down to this little room they'd set up and, uh, and they measured our fingers for like drilling the balls or something. Those are cool. But yeah, the stuff in the stores I would sometimes buy, uh, but over the years it starts to, it started to like really pile up. So started like, 
putting together like these kind of swag baskets for charities, like where we would send like a signed script. But in, in addition to the script, I would like grab a bunch of like stuff and put it all in a basket together and make it more of a of a like a gift basket kind of thing. But I still have I you know definitely still have stuff for sure. That's awesome. But well, I'm you know. Not- but I, it cannot compete with what I'm seeing behind you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this stuff here. Um, you know, it's funny because when I first started this collection, um, it was very minimal. I had like stuff in a closet that I had set up and I, you know, I, we lived in a small apartment, so I was sort of keeping it in storage bins. And, I, and at that point, I don't even really know why I was buying it. I was just like, this stuff is so great. I yeah. you know, wanted some of it as a kid and didn't have it. Some of it I did have and I wanted it again. So you know, it just sort of became a reason um, to keep buying and learn more and do all this. And now um, I talk to people like you and they see all this stuff behind me and think I'm nuts. No, I think it's pretty awesome to be honest. I, I wish I had a, like a setup like that. That's really cool. Uh, but I, my stuff, like someday I'm going to like unpack. I know I'm going to find stuff that I've completely forgotten that I have. And I'm kind of looking forward to that. Cause I think that'll be kind of exciting. So uh, I actually... I found a few things here for our uh, thing today too, that uh, it's always fun to just like, Oh my God, I completely forgot this stuff existed. Or sometimes I've been in another country like, Simpsons potato chips? <laughs> when did those happen? <laughs> well, you know, and whenever you decide to go through that stuff, Mike, if you want to do it live on Zoom with me, let's let's go for it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I would love to see I would love to see what you have. Um you know, I could, I say this a lot, but it's true. I could talk to you for hours, but I don't want to keep you. You're a busy guy. Um, but really. this was, this was really, <laughs> but this was really sitting here staring at the wall. <laughs> there you go. Well, this was, this was really fantastic. And uh, I appreciate you being on so early into the podcast and I would love to uh, do another episode sometime. So if you'd like to come back, I'd love to have you. Sure. Give me a holler. It was, it was my pleasure. I really had a great time. If you enjoyed this podcast, check out the official Instagram at Simpsons is greater than, or follow me on Twitter at Simpsons is great. If you're curious about me or my Simpsons collection, just search for Bart of Darkness on Instagram and Twitter. Thanks again for checking this out. I'll see you next week.